So good to see each of you, and I hope everybody's drying out. I felt a little waterlogged this morning as I came in uh, from outside, but I think the, maybe it's starting to clear, and it's a good day here because we, we have plenty of chili, and I think it's a good day to have chili today, given the weather, and uh, so I think all of the folks who have brought chili today. I know it's not the easiest thing to transport and to bring, to keep warm and to to carry, and you're concerned about spillage in the car and those kind of things, but we're grateful to all of our contestants uh, that have entered into their chili. You know, I'm uh, mindful that there's this little thing going on in the world, a competition out in South Korea called the Olympics. And, and that's all good and fine, but, you know, here at Lindsley Avenue, we have the prestigious chili cook-off. And uh, so we're going to give the Olympics a run for their money today. We've got ribbons and prizes, and so we're excited to, to taste all of that good chili that we got back there. And hopefully it'll do a little, it'll be kind of a medicinal thing given the weather. But it's good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for braving the elements uh, thank you to all of our folks that were in our breakfast class. We're grateful to see uh, some, some of the town's family visiting with us today and many others. And so we're just grateful to be together as a family and to worship and to encourage one another. If you have your Bible, turn to Numbers 13. That will be the lesson text. And the verse that really catches my eye is verse 33 which says very simply at the end of it, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Isn't that an interesting passage that the people of Israel compared themselves to what? To grasshoppers. Isn't that interesting? I'm mindful when I was a little boy that in my household growing up, I had two older sisters and a twin brother, So as you might imagine, there was a good bit of teasing that would happen in our household. Sometimes we would kid with each other. That's what we called it, kidding. Hey, I'm just kidding. And, and, you know, we could say all kinds of mean things to each other as long as we eventually ended it with that little, hey, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Mom and Dad. But we would tease each other incessantly sometimes, just going on and on and and making fun of each other and being cruel like kids can be. But I remember sometimes that when we got to really going at it with each other, my mom would say something to this effect. She said, y'all better quit it or you're going to give each other a complex. Have you ever heard that? That when you describe somebody so much or when you bother somebody or when they hear something repeated so many times that maybe it'll just stick inside their minds and then they got a complex. And what does it mean to have a complex? Well, I looked it up and it says something like this. A core pattern of emotions, memories, perceptions, that's a key word, and wishes in the personal unconscious, organized around a common theme such as power or status. 
That's what it means to have a complex. It's a pattern of perceptions, of emotions, and thoughts in your mind, and it's usually around things like patterns. And guess what? Psychologists have come up with all kinds of complexes that you and I might have. I don't know if they're real, but you can have all kinds of them, I found out. And here's just a few of them. Probably one of the most famous ones is by Sigmund Freud called the Oedipus Complex. And this is one of those Freudian weird complexes that you might have. It is when a son desires the exclusive love of his mother and then has this antagonism with his father. A little bit strange, isn't it? But Freud theorized that some of us might have that Oedipus complex. Here's another one. A God complex. Have you ever heard that? And it's described as arrogant, believing you are better than the rest and above the rules. Ever known anybody like that? Well, don't call them. Don't say, hey, man, I think you got a God complex. That might not be the... (laughs) Or what about this one? I like this one. Cinderella complex for you ladies. Desire to be taken care of by others and a fear of independence. There might be some of us that have a, hey, I might even have that, a Cinderella complex. But this is the one I think that I might have, and y'all can be the judge of it. A Peter Pan complex. A desire to never grow up. I, I tried. I did not want to adult. And I tried to withstand adulthood as long as I could, and I tried to be Peter Pan. It didn't work out. Or a hero complex where you have this constant feeling of trying to save people everywhere you go. Or a martyr complex, you're just itching to get yourself killed. I hope you don't have that one. And then we have the Napoleon complex. A type of inferiority complex found in some of those who are shorter in stature. But there's a list of them, they go on and on, and you can maybe find yourself in that list. But what I want to submit to you today is that the children of Israel didn't have any of these complexes. They had a complex called the grasshopper complex. We were like grasshoppers, and it said, in our own sight. And therefore, we were in their sight, grasshoppers. You see, a complex isn't true. It's not true... It's a distortion of the facts. Were there giants in Canaan? Maybe. But to the extent to which they feared, the answer is no. But it was because of their perception of themselves. It was because of that distortion. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Because we perceived ourselves to be diminutive in disposition. Therefore, guess what? They are. They were grasshoppers because they made themselves grasshoppers. It was an irrational fear that they had. I heard a story once of a man who was going to a therapist. And he had this fear. Get this, he was scared of monsters living underneath his bed. And no, it wasn't me. So he went to this therapist for months and months, and at the end of every therapy session, the the psychologist would always say, well, are you making any progress? 
And he said, no. And then finally, after years of going to the psychologist, the psychologist asked him again, have we made any progress? And he said, yes. And he said, well, what happened? He said, I went to another psychologist and he healed me in one session. And the psychologist said, well, how in the world did he do that? And he said, well, he told me to cut the legs off my bed. (laughs) I don't know if he really healed him. But he had a complex, didn't he? And sometimes we might find ourselves with a complex. The book of Numbers is an interesting book because it begins and ends with a census. And that's why we call it the book of Numbers is because it begins with the taking of the number of the children of Israel. And God counts the people. And it's as they leave Sinai, they have made a covenant with God. They made a covenant with God Himself at Sinai. In Exodus 24, 3, it says, And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. They made an agreement with God. We will obey you, God. We will keep your words. We will obey. And in fact, that covenant was ratified with blood, it says in Exodus 24. And the number of the children of Israel, when they numbered them, is found in Numbers 146. The number of adult men over the age of 20, and the reason why they were counting the men over 20 is because it was the military age, the fighting men. The number was 603,550 men in Israel over 20 years of age. That means the number of Israel was somewhere in the ballpark of 2 million people. But as you begin to read the book of Numbers, what you find that as the people of Israel are marching to the promised land, to their inheritance, to their promise, they're dissatisfied. They're dissatisfied with their food. They're dissatisfied with their leadership, Moses. They're just dissatisfied. They're complaining. They're murmuring. And then finally... Finally, the people of Israel get to the promised land. They're at the land of Canaan. And that's where Numbers 13 picks up. Here they are on the boundary of the promise. And what happens? The first thing that Moses wants to do is he wants to send them into the land to spy it out because they were supposed to be a people living lives of victory. But what happens? It says in 17 and following, So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there is forest there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. You see, God had a mission for His people. God had a victory for His people. But because of their fear, they're going to miss out on the inheritance. Because of fear, because of their lack of trust in God Himself. You see, God has called us each to lives of victory. 
He has called us to live lives more than mediocre lives, but a life that is missional in nature. Just as God gave these spies a mission, He's given us a mission, hasn't He? In fact, it says in the Bible that in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that if you search the Scriptures, then you are a person of noble character. You see, God has called us not to these lives that are mundane and mediocre, but lives of even greatness. But we have to know what true greatness is. Because when Jesus described greatness in Mark, what did He say? If any of you desire to be great, let him be a servant. He's also caused us and called us to lives of happiness and felicity. In fact, in Psalms 1, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates both day and night. God has called us to a life of blessing, a life of greatness, a life of nobility, but we have to know what that life is. And God describes it differently than the way that the world describes it. But He's given us a life with a mission. The people of Israel were there to inhabit the land. We are here to spread the good news of the Gospel. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just as those spies had a mission, just as Israel had a mission, we have a mission as His people today. And guess what? We can overcome. And that is the attitude of Joshua and Caleb. They bring back this huge cluster of grapes carried by two men. And it says in verse 26, And they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. And listen what they said. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. And it says, verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. What was Caleb's idea? Yes, let's be realistic. It is a tough land. It is a tough job. But we are well able to overcome it. We're well able. We are equipped to handle it. And no matter where you are in your life, you are able to overcome it with God's help. We are able to overcome it. Why? Because God has equipped His church, His people, with the most powerful things in the universe. What's more powerful than love? I don't know of anything. God has called us to be disciples. If you're my disciples, then ye shall have love one for another. What's more powerful than truth? What's more powerful than hope? We are well able to overcome We have to build our lives with a spiritual infrastructure. That may sound strange to you, but in my work, 
Many times I have the opportunity to talk to people who are hurting, families who are broken. And what I find day after day is that because there's no spiritual infrastructure in their life, they have nowhere to go. Not too long ago, I talked to a lady and she went to great lengths to tell me all the things that she did not believe in. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe this and that. And she had this bare minimum belief in something that wasn't even God. And then she began to describe her life and her family's life. And there was nothing to take hold of. There was no hope. There was no truth. There was no love because inside of her there was nothing there. And that's not to say that you will be exempt from problems if you're a follower of Christ. No. But when there are problems, you have something to overcome with. We are well able to overcome. God's called us to life of victory, but guess what? Sometimes there is a bad report. And that's what happens in verses 31. Listen. But when the men who had gone up with them, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than us. And they gave the children of Israel, listen to this, a bad report. Is there going to be a bad report in our lives? You can turn on the news and get plenty of bad reports, right? There's going to be bad reports on the news and there's going to be bad reports in your life, in your family, in your church. But are we able to overcome? The answer is, with God, we do. But if we begin to think like the children of Israel then we may have that grasshopper complex. No, I can't overcome that problem. That problem is greater than anything I know, but it's not greater than God in whom we serve. So we have to, number one, live lives of faith and not fear. We have to live lives of faith and not fear. And I know that's easy for me to say up here right now. But it's the truth. That if we're going to live in such a way that pleases God, we don't live in fear. We live in faith. You see, where was the people of Israel's perception of who they truly were? Because they weren't grasshoppers, were they? No, in fact, they were the people of God. Listen to the way that God describes them at Sinai. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Does that sound like a grasshopper to you? It isn't. You are a special treasure to God. And because of that, God is going to help you to overcome whatever obstacles are in your way. But we have to live in faith. We also have to live on the promise and not in the past. And guess what the children of Israel were doing? They were starting to go back into the past. Look at chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Where were they? They were on the cusp of inheriting a land, and here they were weeping. 
And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? They were living where? In the past. And not on the promise that God had for them. And we serve a God who promises to forgive, to restore, to bless, to give that rest and inheritance, an eternal inheritance. When we begin to live on that promise, that fear fades away, doesn't it? Another thing that we see in this chapter is the children of Israel needed leadership, didn't they? And it describes Joshua and Caleb as being leaders despite what? Despite the opinion of everybody else. You see, sometimes as leaders, as influencers for God, our opinion, our belief, our convictions will be at odds with what everybody else believes. You literally have two spies against ten and you have... Four people against the whole congregation of Israel. But who was right? It was the one who was in the minority, not the one in the majority. But God has called us to be leaders, and sometimes that means we have to be different. That we're not shaped by the consensus, but we help shape the consensus because of the way that we live, by the way that we speak, and the way that we love each other. It says that Caleb had a different spirit. And I like that. He was described in the Bible as having a different spirit. He was different from all the people because of his dependence on the Lord. The sad story that happens to the children of Israel is is that they lose their inheritance. All of them do, except for Joshua and Caleb and the little ones that were with them. So let me ask you this. What has fear robbed from you? What has fear robbed from you and your family? What has fear robbed for you in churches? How many times do people postpone going to church? Because why? They fear God's people, God's church. What has fear robbed from you? Fear robs us of that wonderful inheritance that we have in in Christ. The Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That when we depend on Him, we have love and a sound mind. God has made a covenant with us. Just as He made a covenant with His people, the people of Israel, He has made a covenant with you in the blood of Christ. That you are His people. And that you are able to overcome whatever's in your life. Remember, there's an old story. I'll leave you with this and the lesson will be yours. About a young boy. His father was the captain of of a boat. And the captain brought his son on the ship for a voyage. And as 
they sailed, they ran into a terrible, terrible storm. And all the people on the boat were fearful. They were running around scared. And then they saw the little boy, the captain's son. And he was walking around confident, not even afraid. And they said, what's going on? How can you be so confident? Why are you not scared like the rest of us? And the little boy said, well, I went on the deck and I know we will be safe because I saw Father at the wheel. I know we will be safe because I know who is in charge. I know who has control. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And some days we might get a bad report, but we need to trust in Him and use the tools, the greatest tools on earth, love and truth and compassion to change this world. And we are able to do it. Not because there's power within us, but there's power with God. And when I look and I see in this audience, I don't see any grasshoppers, but I see a special treasure unto God. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So it's our job to live that way. Will you begin to live that way? The Bible says that if we want to follow Christ, that we must believe in what He says, that we must trust in His teachings. And that when we begin to do His teachings, He likens us unto a wise man who builds his house upon a rock and not on sand. That when we repent of sins, we come close to God. We draw near to God. We turn from those sins that alienate us, that separate us. And we confess Him to be the Son of the living God. And we're baptized into His body, the church, for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And we begin to walk not as grasshoppers, but as disciples of the living Lord who was raised on the third day. And that same Spirit that raised Him works in our lives. That same Holy Spirit. We don't have to live in fear. Today, if you are a Christian and you need encouragement or you need a prayer of healing, we're going to sing this song, number 655, to encourage you. And so if you have any need, won't you come together as we stand and as we sing?